Good morning, my friends. It is a joy to be with you in worship. And for those of you who stream or will watch this later on, bless you. We do uh, look forward to a time when you can be with us in this space again. It is a holy place. And I love days like today where the sun is shining and so many of you get to bathe in the glorious light that comes in through the windows. Do you enjoy that or do you find it a nuisance? I enjoy it. I always, I always feel extra special when the warm glow comes over me. So I'm looking at some of you in the light. Some of you are like blocking it out and others are taking it on. So just when you're in the light, know that you look extra holy. Just don't be worried about it. You just look really great. A lot of people have been asking me about the glasses. So I'm going to tell you all at once so I don't have to tell you all at the door a hundred different times. On the drive back from Illinois on the 2nd, I felt dizzy and wonky a lot of the way, especially when it got dark and it was raining and the headlights and I was telling myself narratives about how maybe this is a sign that I'm about to have a stroke, uh, have a heart attack and die, like I was just feeling lightheaded and funky. And... Um, I complained about it for a couple days, and then I came here last Sunday, and I was, I was having a really hard time. I was shaky. I felt dizzy. Inner ear kind of stuff is what I felt like, but, you know, I convinced myself that it was, you know, a tumor or something really bad. I even stood in the middle of the, the, the sanctuary here and prayed to God that God would get, help me get through the services. And then I went into my office, and I was going over the sermon notes on the computer screen, and the like the computer screen was like moving like this. It was all really strange. And so then I grabbed, I've never had a, a, to have glasses before. And uh, one time I went to the optometrist, and he goes, well, since, you're pre since your insurance pays for it, why don't we just prescribe you some readers since you read a lot? So these are like 15 years old. But as soon as I put them on my face, everything felt better. So I think I need glasses. It's a better diagnosis, but I have them on so I don't get dizzy and I look at my notes. That's, I know you're worried about me. Don't worry, we're all good, okay? Save your prayers for Australia. Save your prayers for our situation in Iran. These are things that are upsetting us greatly and they should. I heard on the radio yesterday that some one billion creatures have died in the fires in Australia. I can't even, that, can you wrap your mind around that at all? Like a billion creatures, it's estimated, have died. And some of these creatures only exist in Australia, so they're really concerned about extinction levels. I think we ought to just momentarily pause, quiet our hearts, and ask God to intercede in the world freshly. And then we'll get on with our story today about these wise men from the East. Let us pause. creator of all life. We're thankful to be alive today, to have another opportunity to follow after you, to meet with you one more time. God, we confess that you have given us life, and we haven't always been so good with that gift. We have sinned. We've been wayward. We have sought power. We've been complacent. But it is the deepest confession that of our hearts and faith that you sent your son Christ to reconcile us unto yourself. Thank you, God. We also believe that you sent your spirit to meet us as a friend, a companion, as a guide, 
Send your spirit freshly, God, for you. And I know without you, I can do nothing. We ask that your spirit be here to have communion with us, to help us think epiphany in our heart and let it transform the way we think and move and act and have our being as we go forth from here. God, in all the things that we're concerned about and all the worries of the world and the stressors and the transitions in our minds, we surrender them to you now. Open our minds and hearts and illuminate us to your truth, goodness, and beauty. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, and God's people say together, Amen. When I was about 11 years old, I played JFL football, the Junior Football League. We weren't a very good team, but nevertheless, we tried. Finally, we were going to play the best team in the league, and the best team in the league had a player everyone knew about. His name was Mike Sanchez. I'll never forget the day that our coach sat us down on the field to talk about our game plan to play Mike Sanchez. Rumors and legends of his power were widespread. The kids would tell each other that his parents bred him to play football. Like literally, we talked like that. There's no way another 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid should be 6 foot 12. I know that's not even a real height, but this is how crazy the legends were. He shouldn't be 300 pounds at this age. I was pleased to know that he played a position that was different than mine across the line of scrimmage, so I wasn't going to go up against Mike Sanchez, thank the good Lord. It was the third quarter. It was time for kickoff and kickoff return, and his team lined up on the line wherever they liked, and so I saw the Goliath of the man. The sun was blotted out by his size in front of me, and he says, I got this little guy. And I wept. <laughs> I made deals with God. Mike Sanchez, with his power, knocked me down that day. It hurt. The legend of his fabled power. I mean, it still actually shapes my imagination. Later in life, when I was an adult, I was a youth minister, I took the youth kids to the retirement community to the Alzheimer's ward to do a service project, to work with them, to hang out with the people there. And in walks Mike Sanchez, looking a bit more normal of stature these days. I guess he just got big fast and stayed that size, but as he walked over to a nurse and talked with her, handing her some food in a bag he left, I go, was that Mike Sanchez? She goes, yes, he's my husband. Oh, but I could just imagine how strong and big he was because, man, power, power gets the imagination. Power is something we fear. At times, it's something that we admire. Sometimes we want it. Power is often possessed by us, but it is so fraught with so many possibilities and outcomes that power is much like a jack-in-the-box. You know what to expect, but it can still catch you off guard. And though it is common wisdom to be weary of power, there is still this deep allure in the human species to power. It's in all of us. If we don't want it personally, then chances are we want to be near someone who wields it. Herod the Great, he held great power. 
He was the Roman client king of Judah. This means that, that he served as a sort of puppet king over the Jewish lands for Rome. He was hardly the historic king that the Jews looked for, the one coming from the line of David. His power led him to many great achievements. He built many building projects throughout the land, including an entire port city. And it was he, he, under his administration, he is the one who renovated and expanded the holy temple of God in Jerusalem. Herod, no matter how immoral, no matter how disgraceful, no matter how unwilling to follow the law of God, Herod got things done. And so the people ignored sometimes all that other stuff because he was effective. I think that's a real sin that we have in our culture. We will overlook that which is so wrong and vile as long as it appears effective. In 1933, the Christian Science Monitor was assessing the new administration of Adolf Hitler. He had said a lot of nasty things during his campaigning. He said a lot of bad stuff about the Jewish people. But they assumed that when he got in office, all that would kind of mellow out. I don't know why you're not laughing at that. This absurd notion on, uh, 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 that would, that would happen, and we stand on this side of history knowing what really did happen. Well, Sure. There are some people in some parts of the country that were harming some Jews. That's what the Christian Science Monitor said. But at least he makes the trains run on time, and it commented on how the uniforms of the police officers look really neat and clean, which I don't know why Americans are shocked by this. I just think that's German. Everything's precise and neat. But the point being is they could overlook the filthy thoughts and ideas of the man because he was effective with his power. Now, I find it fascinating, and I wonder if you do too, that, that there are foreigners, folks from another place, non-Jewish folks, and folks who followed another god. They are not Jewish. They're from a different religion. It's these people who were the first to come and pay homage to Jesus. It's these people from the outside and outside of the religion of the, of the Jewish people that get a notion from God that God is doing something remarkable in Judea. I find that an incredible happening. It's interesting, I think, because many times we Christians act like the only knowledge of God can be found in our boxes, our churches. But here's a clear case that says that God speaks and God speaks sometimes to those in the margins, sometimes those in the outside, and maybe those without the right sort of agency or power. We call these men wise men or magi. They do the right thing upon entry. They, they go straight to King Herod and tell him the news. They perhaps thought that King Herod, being a simple puppet king, a client king, a placeholder for the real king, maybe he'd be happy to be told of the fact that the one that the people had been waiting for, for for generations had finally come. Their optimism made them foolish. Herod wasn't happy. He wasn't happy at all. 
He was afraid, and so were the people around him. And so he hatched a plan for Jesus' demise, and he told the Magi to come back and tell him where they found the Christ child so, you know, he could go visit. (laughs) Herod, 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 once again, uses his place of prestige and power, and he tries to wield it for his own ends. Like you, I have sat horrified and scandalized by hearing of all the accusations made at Harvey Weinstein. This past week, I heard a radio interview with one of the very first complaints, complainants against him who decided not to take him to court, and the reason why was stated this way. My lawyers talked me out of it. She said that over her tears. The interviewer said, well, why were you talked out of it? This really happened to you, didn't it? She goes, it sure did, but my lawyers told me that they had more money than I could imagine. I would run out of resources, and he would just be getting started. That he would hire teams of people to dig up my trash, to hack into my computers, to find out the very worst about me, the very worst of my loved ones. And I think that's when it got to her the most, that her loved ones' names we drug through the mud in order to hold one's power. How pathetic. History is full of men taking advantage of their station to keep their power, isn't it? The rest of the story is well known. The wise men, they find Jesus, they pay homage to the king by giving him kingly gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in a dream... In a dream, God speaks and tells them that Herod has no good deed in mind. He has a nefarious plot. And so it says they went home by another way, by another road. They were tipped off by God in a dream. Sometimes it's the right tip that can make the house of cards come falling down. Most of us have also not been surprised but been scandalized a little bit by the college admissions cheating scandal. A lot of folks like you and me, we have to go to college and our kids have to go to college through the front door. We gotta save money, we gotta take out loans, we gotta get good grades. Some folks can go in the back door and their parents know people and write big enough checks that you can have your name on a building. But the college admissions scandal is called the side door. That's the new invented term for this. Rick Singer, unsurprisingly, was working with a lot of people who had a lot of money and was getting them into good schools, schools beyond their deserving grade-wise. And it was a house of cards, too, until there was a tip-off. Who tipped them off? Well, one of the persons involved in the scheme was being investigated by the FBI for something else, and so he could easily roll over on Springer and the rest, and that house of cards fell hard. So will Herod's house. Today, my friends, we celebrate Epiphany. Epiphany is the revelation of God incarnate in Christ. Yes, we celebrated Christmas, but on Epiphany, it's the big, aha, this is God incarnate in Christ moment. So we read about the wise men. Tonight at Evensong, the sermon will be on Jesus' baptism. That's another great, aha, moment of understanding God revealed in Christ. So we're here. We're here for Epiphany. And this day, it reminds me that power is an important thing to consider in our world. At worst, power is something that most people don't want to let go of. 
and most will use their power to keep their power and even gain more of it. But stories like this, this epiphany story, remind me that no matter how we try to do an end run around what God's will is with our power, no matter how much we try to change the narrative with our power, no matter how much the world or worldly characters will sacrifice to be on top, the gospel will always outflank, outmaneuver, and undermine the cheap powers of this world. The gospel reminds us that true power is a peasant Jewish baby who will grow to hang on a cross and it will offer you life. It doesn't look powerful, but is beyond any power imaginable.